we talking about this in church? Is this allowed? Is this okay? Why are we talking about it on Thanksgiving week? Okay? Because I'm thankful for this gift that God has given us. Okay? I know that the winter months are coming. Okay? And so this is a very appropriate time to talk about this. Why are we talking about marriage and sex and romance and passion and pleasure? Believe it or not, the Bible talks about sex. The Bible talks about romance and passion and pleasure. And here's kind of the way we roll here at Grace Church. If the Bible talks about it, we're going to talk about it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. It's all profitable for us. It's all important for us. So here we go. All right, you ready? No emergency bathroom exits. Final warning. Buckle your seatbelts. Prepare for takeoff. All right. We live in a sexually messed up, perverted culture. I think we would probably all agree on that. There's so much confusion surrounding the issues of sex and pleasure. And I believe this message is so important because statistically, 93% of you will marry if you're not married already. Okay, that's a high percentage. I believe this message is also very needed because many of us in the church are sexually messed up. As a matter of fact, churches are closing their doors on a daily basis because of sexual immorality, including a well-known church in our own community. To be honest, I don't believe that we talk about these topics enough. I think we need to talk about them more. So let me start this morning by sharing three main views that most people have of sex, inside and outside of the church. Okay, The first view, you have your notes there, write this down. Please take some notes. I think this is very important for you. The first view is that sex is an idol. Okay, Sex is an idol in, in a lot of people's lives. Sex is a god. Sex is worship. People give their lives to it. They give their money, their time. They give their brain power, their energy. The second view is that sex is sinful. It's dirty, it's vile, nasty, and wrong. Its only purpose is to make babies. And the third view is that sex is a gift from God to steward, to enjoy, and to share in the context of marriage. Now, sexual immorality and perversion and abuses, you know, confusion surrounding the issues of sex, it has been a problem all throughout history. God's people in the Old and New Testaments lived in cultures that were just as perverted, just as confused as ours. And that's why when you read books like 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul had to continually correct the confusion surrounding sexuality. Paul had to continually say, no, you, you cannot have sex with your relatives. No, you can't have sex before marriage. No, you can't commit adultery. No, you can't have sex with someone of the same gender. He had to continually remind God's people of these things. Now, now fast forward to present day, and 
we're still dealing with the same issues. The exact same things. We're still dealing with it today. To many, sex is an idol. They, they worship sex. Listen to these, these awful stats. Pornography brings in globally over $60 billion a year. $12 billion of that is spent by Americans. Now, Americans spend more money on porn than they do on pro football, baseball, and pro basketball combined together. The average child sees pornography for the first time by 11 years of age. And it's usually by accident. Many parents, they may say or they think, you know, I have a 13-year-old son, and I don't think he's really ready to talk about sexual issues or sexual things. Statistically, you're probably already too late. He's probably already seen things that you're totally unaware of. People give their money, they give their time, their energy, even their hearts to the idol of sex. Now, sex should not be an idol in our, in our lives. We're supposed to worship God. That's who we should give our money and our talents and our efforts and our energy and our heart to. We should give it to God. We're supposed to worship God and we're supposed to steward His creation. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 says that many of us end up worship, worshiping creation rather than the Creator. We end up worshiping the body rather than the one who created the body. Many people are in this category. They struggle with this. They worship the body and not the one who created the body. Other people don't want sex to be an idol in their lives. Okay, I, I don't want sex to be a god in my life, so they swing way too far the other way, and they view sex as being evil. Sadly, many Christian homes fall into this category. Many Christian homes run this way. They never talk about sex. They never talk about it. And any time the topic comes up, it gets shut down because it's evil. Okay, let's not talk about it. All you hear from many Christians is what they're against, okay? Fornication is a sin. Adultery is wrong. Porn is bad. This is wrong. That's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. Okay, that's all true. But is there anything we're allowed to do? Are we allowed to do anything that's fun? To some, sex is evil because they've been abused. If you were molested as a child, if you were raped, if you've had a negative sexual experience, your tendency is to view sex as being evil because your experience was evil. So let me just say, sex is not evil. Your experience may have been evil, but sex is not evil. You may have been hurt through your sin or through the sin of others, but we need to biblically deal with that. We need to be spiritually healed, spiritually cleansed, and we need to have a God-honoring view of sex. The third view that many people have is that sex is a gift from God. And we want to go to the right sources to learn about this gift. We, we go to the scriptures. We go to God's word 
uh, to learn about this gift that he's given us. And the Bible says sex is a gift, and this gift has multiple purposes. Okay, so let's talk about what are the purposes of sex, all right? I have to lay some groundwork before we dive into Proverbs. So let's talk about what are the purposes biblically that we can find, that, we, that I have seen um, for the purposes of sex. First of all, the Bible makes it clear that sex is for pleasure. Seriously, okay? Sex is for pleasure. Song of Solomon has a lot to say about sex. But what's interesting is the, is the book of Song of Solomon never mentions anything about having children. It only talks about pleasure. Okay? So the whole book, that's a great book to study, to learn, if you're uh, wanting to learn more about sex. It, it talks about how it is for pleasure. The second purpose is to make babies. Okay, Genesis 1 and verse 28 says, And God blessed them. He was speaking of Adam and Eve. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, Tricia and I, we have four boys, and they truly are a blessing from the Lord. The purpose of sex is also for unity. Okay, so we see it's for pleasure. We see that it's to make babies. And we also see that it's for unity. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's a, it's a unifying experience. It's to unify. Number four, the purpose of sex is for comfort. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, King David and Bathsheba had a child die had a child pass away. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24 says this, it says, and then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. Purpose for sex is for comfort. So David and his wife Bathsheba were intimate together to comfort one another. And then lastly, we see the purpose of sex is for spiritual safety. It's actually for spiritual protection. In marriage, your sexual desires are met. They should be met. And if not, you open yourself up to all kinds of sexual temptation. So the purpose of sex in marriage is also for spiritual protection. So... We've established some views of sex. We've established some purposes that we see of sex. So now let's, let's consider for just a moment the beginning of the human race. Okay, let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, continuing to lay some groundwork for us. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God says this. He says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay, this is the first time that we see in Scripture that God says something is not good. He says it is not good that man is alone. Verses 19 and 20 in Genesis chapter 2 tell us that God made all living creatures. In Adam, he got to name all the living creatures. He, he gave a name to all the living creatures. But none of those living creatures, you know, the, the alligators, the rhinos, they weren't very attractive to him, right? 
And so look what God did in Genesis chapter 2. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now let me just, let me just make an observation. Okay, this is Justinism. Okay, this is just my perspective. I have the microphone, so I'm going to share it with you. My perspective is that this is a beautiful picture of what God intends for a husband and wife relationship. The woman was taken from the side of man. So it's not feminism out in front. She shouldn't be out in front leading the charge. It's not chauvinism in the back where the man is has his thumb on her. No, it's actually a picture of being together, side by side, moving forward in the right direction. That's what I believe God's picture is for us. Then the man said, continuing in the scripture, then the man said, this at last is not an alligator, right? This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is such a beautiful picture of God's intention. This is the original relationship before sin, before the curse of sin came onto the scene. This is the original relationship between Adam and Eve, and it was pure. It was perfect. It was what God intended. It was the perfect design. Look at verse 25. It says, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There was no, there was no shame. Can you imagine? So God designed heterosexual marriage to be the place where intimacy and sexual pleasure is to be enjoyed. That means that sex outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin. Before marriage, it's called fornication. Outside of marriage, it's called adultery. So marriage is for one man and one woman, and this is the only place where sex is to be enjoyed. One man for one woman. Okay, so some groundwork has been laid. And now I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 5 to us. And then I'm going to give us some practical considerations. I'm going to have some closing remarks. And then we'll be done this morning. So Proverbs chapter 5, I want to read the chapter in its entirety. This chapter I have read countless times in my life and has helped me as a young man to my current age to walk in a somewhat straight line, okay? Man, this chapter is so critical. I've told my boys numerous times, man, read Proverbs chapter 5. Read Proverbs chapter 6. They will guide you. They will help you. So let's read this. Proverbs chapter 5. It says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. I love how it starts out. Pay attention. My son, Listen carefully to my wise counsel. 
Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Okay, sex is beautiful. Handled wrongly, it ends in death. You don't want to experience a beautiful death. For she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. Verse 7. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near to the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and you will and you will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers, why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? Verse 14, I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain, a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, with an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? Verse 21. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. You know, many people... They enter marriage thinking that it's going to be like Genesis chapter 2, right? Naked, eating fruit, very happy. But it ends up being more like Genesis chapter 3, full of conflict. And by the way, marriage is going to have conflict. There, there's no getting around that. You're going to have conflict in marriage. There's two imperfect people that are becoming one flesh, and that is a difficult process because of sin. There will be conflict in marriage. And, and men, let me just say, how you handle the conflict of marriage is crucial. So let's just consider. These are just some practical considerations. And uh, let's consider some wrong ways that men handle the conflict that comes in marriage. Why are you picking on the men, Pastor Justin? Because they need to be picked on. Okay? They need it the most. The first mistake that men often make 
is that they avoid marriage altogether. Okay, they see all the conflict that comes with marriage. They look at all the divorce statistics, all the families that are falling apart, and they conclude to themselves, I'm not going to get married. Like, look at the mess I see all around me, and I don't want any part of that. The problem is they still want the benefits of marriage. They want the benefits of sex and support and friendship. They want all the benefits that marriage brings with it. They want the benefits without the vow. They want the benefits without the commitment, without marriage. Another horrible path that men take is they try to find fulfillment. They try to find pleasure through adultery. Maybe they've been married for a while and they've just gotten bored. They want something new and exciting. They realize maybe that, man, this marriage is difficult. And so they seek an easier path. They think the woman at work, the woman at the store, the woman at the strip club, wherever she may be, is the answer. So he turns to her for pleasure. He turns to her for fulfillment. But he soon finds out that pleasure only lasts a season. It only lasts a short time. But the pain and the suffering from the decision of adultery lasts a lifetime. Proverbs chapter 5, it ends in death. It's more venomous and painful than a poisonous snake. It's, it's going to last a lifetime. Other men, what they do is they turn to pornography, which is a, another form of adultery. Husbands, many of us don't have a good relationship with our wife because we're in love with our laptop. Many guys get so addicted to porn that they start comparing their wife to the thousands of images that they've seen on their computer. And many men, they're not living in reality. They compare their wife to the women who've had plastic surgery, women who look the way they do because of Photoshop and video editing, women who are so doctored up, it's not even reality. And many guys wonder why their wife doesn't look like her, doesn't look like that. And guys, can I just say, it's because she's real. Your wife is a real woman. She's not fake. She isn't plastic. She doesn't have the benefit of having all of her blemishes and imperfections removed through video editing. She's real. She's the real deal. What other men do to avoid the conflict of marriage is they hide. Now these are the guys that stay married, but they're miserable in that marriage. They're unwilling to work on the marriage. Their pride is in the way. They're unwilling to seek counsel or to ask for help. Maybe trying to figure it out on their own, but they just keep spinning their wheels in the same rut. Their marriage is awful, but instead of confronting the issues, they hide. And they end up living a miserable existence. And that's not what God intends for us. Other guys just walk away. Instead of hiding, they just, they just walk away. They quit because the marriage is too difficult. And lastly, many guys fail at marriage because they grow bitter. And the reason they grow bitter is because they don't deal with the sin in their heart. They 
never truly repented. They never truly turned away from the sin in their heart. And it grows, and they grow in bitterness. And what happens is, okay, a bitter man becomes an angry man. And then he becomes a controlling man. And what they do is they intimidate their wife through the threat of physical harm. Maybe it's verbal abuse. Maybe it's both. And these guys are usually filled with pride. And when their fantasy world doesn't work out the way they thought it was going to work out, they take it out on their wife. Now, now here's the hard truth. Some of you men need to sacrifice your selfish desires, your God-forsaken desires. You need to realize that God is more concerned with your holiness with your character, with your integrity. He's more concerned with your heart than he is about whether or not you're having fun or about whether or not you're happy. Fellas, it's it's time to deal with the sin in your heart. Don't let it sit there. Don't let it fester because it grows. And it'll turn into bitterness and it'll turn into something that you never dreamed in your wildest dreams that it could become in your life and that you could become. Man, deal with the sin in your heart. So now let's focus on what husbands should be doing. In Proverbs chapter 5, we read that husbands should rejoice in the wife of his youth. He should love her. He should have fun with her. They should be the best of friends. You know, many of us in our marriages, we need to get back to being friends. For many of us, that's how it started. It started with a friendship. We need to be friends. Let's get back to that friendship. Enjoy one another. God intends for us to enjoy each other's company. We should also be ravished with our wife's love. It means that you look to your wife for sexual fulfillment. It means your wife is the apple of your eye. And your wife is often in your thoughts. We're encouraged also to stop taking shortcuts. Okay? Marriage sometimes is hard work. We need to work hard at cultivating our marriage. We need to work hard to guard ourselves, to guard our wife from Satan's traps. We're told not to take the porn or adultery path because it always ends in death. Husbands, we we have a lot of things to work on. In order to be a God-honoring husband, you must have Jesus in your life. It's the only way it's going to work. The only way to fix all these broken areas in your life is through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. You, You cannot fix yourself. It's impossible. It doesn't work. You need Jesus. He is the way. He is the light. You need Jesus Christ. Before we finish this morning, I, I actually want to take just a brief moment, and I, I want to talk to the single guys in the room, all right? Don't get too nervous. This will only hurt for a minute, okay? Very few will be called to a life of singleness. Yes, it is possible. Yes, it can be done very few will be called to that. I think a lot of single guys may wonder 
why they can't find a godly woman to marry. Why can't I find a godly woman? And, and bluntly and, and as lovingly as I know how to put this, the answer is, is because she won't have anything to do with you, a godly woman. You see, a godly, righteous, and upright woman has options. She's not desperate. She has options. And she's not going to pick an unemployed, unkept mooch to be her husband. She's not going to get real excited about the guy that still lives with his mom. Or a guy who takes her to dinner but asks her to pay. Guys, I'm encouraging you to put away your childish ways and to become men. Become men. Godly women, good godly women are looking for good godly men. Okay, that just got real. All right? Let's move on. Guys, I honestly, I'm doing that because I love you. Dad, I believe, was a great dad, and there was times he would challenge me. And I'm challenging you. I think sometimes we need to be challenged to put away our childish ways. Because those ways are fun sometimes, right? Man, being a man is full of responsibility. It's full of difficulty world. So because of sin, you know, this beautiful gift of sex, it got all messed up. But thankfully, because of Jesus, sex can be redeemed. It's going to take a lot of hard work. Uh, Listen, anything that's worth anything takes a little sacrifice. It takes some hard work. Can God heal broken marriages? Can God heal broken families? Absolutely. But broken marriages and broken families, they come with consequences. We need men who will be there for their wife and their children. We need men who will show up, men who are involved. We need husbands who will pray and read the scriptures with their wife, husbands who will provide and protect their wife physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally. We need husbands who are men. And I'm preaching this message today because we live in a culture that doesn't support, it does not support the biblical family structure. It fights against it. For example, a man who fights for the protection and the provision of his family is considered a chauvinist. All the while, a woman who has the desire to be a mother, the desire to build a strong home, She's looked down upon. And many think that she's wasting her talent. She's wasting her intellect. Church, the Bible's view of a husband, the Bible's view of a wife, of a father, of a mother, is one of honor and respect. Those are positions of high honor. Those are positions that should be greatly desired. And at Grace Church, we hold the Bible's view of a husband and a wife, a father and a mother. And we are striving to raise our families the way God intended. And we're striving to be husbands that are like Christ. 
Man, husbands, love your wife. Cultivate, nurture your wife. Build her up. Do the hard things required to lead a family. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Christ sanctifies and he cleanses the church by loving the church. Christ loves you. He loves us. And that's how we are cleansed, is by his love. Husbands, we bless, we sanctify, and we cleanse, we purify, we make our wives better by loving them. The more you love your wife, the better she will be. Because women respond to love. Man, church, I, I want you to understand God's intention for sex. In the context of marriage, it is, it is wonderful. It's, it's amazing. It's a truly a gift. But sin, man, once again, it's fouled it all up. But if you're willing to allow Jesus to transform your life, sex in your marriage can be redeemed. It can be changed from constant conflict to the wonderful union that God intended it to be. And I, I'm praying for your marriages. I'm, I'm praying for the single men in our church. I'm praying for our marriages, and I hope to see couples grow old together. I'm praying that when you become grandparents, when you become great-grandparents, that you will be more in love with your spouse then than you are today. And I'm also praying for broken families. I'm praying that broken families will be restored and for husbands to lead their families the way God intended them to be led. You know, we always do our best to give you a chance to respond. And uh, let me just say, if you'd like Jesus to be your God, if you say, man, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus, today is a great time. Today is the day of your salvation. It's, it's a great time to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, there's an information card in the seat pockets in front of you or behind you, and, and you can fill that out and say, I'm, today I'm, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And you can put it in a black offering box, and what we will do is we'll follow up with you. We can help answer your questions. We can help you with next steps to take in your spiritual journey. Let me also say that if you're here this morning and you need prayer, we want to be a praying church. We need to be a praying church. If you need prayer, if you need encouragement to get through the struggle that you're facing, to get through the brokenness in your life that you're dealing with, we have a prayer room right outside the auditorium here on the right as you're leaving. There's some wonderful people, wonderful, wonderful saints of God who are there to pray with you, to encourage you. Um, we want to do our best to stand with you through those hardships of life. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then the band is going to lead us actually in a closing song this morning. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan. Lord, our culture is completely backwards. And I pray that we would view marriage, that we would view husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children through the lenses 
of the Bible. I I pray that we would hold those positions up with high honor and, and respect. Lord, we know that when men are strong in their faith, our families will be strong. When our families are strong, our communities will be strong. And when our communities are strong, our nation will be strong. Holy Spirit, please work. Right now, please work in the hearts and the lives of people today. We pray that your spirit would move and do the work Spirit can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.